Ellipses Thinking lives at the heart of creative life. It invites us to park judgment and perfection and to drive curiosity towards possibility. Through conversations with people actively engaged in their own creative adventures, those who identify as artists and those who choose to experience life through an artistic lens, I hope to shed light on what's learned and inspiring in the discoveries we make when we courageously invite our creative spirit forth. My name is Greg Dowler Coleman. Welcome to Ellipses Thinking. When I've experienced a, a kind of great outpouring. I think that's that's a term that Rilke uses when he wrote his Duino elegies. I I would just be gifted with a poem. It would just it would come from intense emotion, but um, a calmness in the midst of that. And the poem, um, it it it's it's almost like automatic writing. And there's a few of those. Those are the real gifts. Um, very little editing's required. They they arrive, kind of intact, and 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 there's a great sense of of uh, release when that happens. It's it's like it 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 can heal the grief when when it moves through you that way. The grief that Diana Hayes knows most deeply and which she has spent over 20 years navigating her way throughout, she felt when her mother died of cancer. The fact that both she and her mother, whom she remembers as her confidant, muse and dearest friend, were both facing a breast cancer diagnosis at the exact same time added incredible complexity to the grieving process. Her poetry collection, The Language of Light, is a tribute to her mother and has been alongside and within Diana as a central part of her creative and grieving process over that time. Once considering herself primarily a literary artist, Diana has now expanded her poetic vision into the realm of photographic dreamscapes and narratives. Today, she calls Salt Spring Island home, where she divides her time between writing and photography but she has also been an active producer of literary events and festivals on the island and freely and generously offers her wisdom to mentor and support many other artists in her community. You know, over the course of the first two seasons of this podcast, I've been intrigued with the many ways in which the power of creativity has arrived into the lives of my guests as a, a real life force um, one and, and one of real transformation. And as this podcast hopes to inspire listeners in the ways of creative thinking and being far beyond uh, the skill set of an artist, I continue to be drawn to this idea that our personal and unique creative resources lie within us, and they just await our invitation, which should we be willing and ready to take it up, might prove to uh, allow us to sense the beautiful gift that it holds for us in terms of mental and physical health. And so I felt incredibly honored, Diana, and, and, and really fortunate when you reached out uh, to invite me into a conversation with you about, about your own personal journey and, and, and how you learned to navigate through the experience of grief following the death of your mother. And as you share, you know, on, on the back uh, of, of the collection of poetry, Language of Light, that you were unprepared for what death and grief required of you. 
Um, and that, that realization seems to have started a journey of your heart and a journey around the globe as well. And, and ultimately, as you say, it was poetry that lifted the veil of your inconsolable heart and revealed the indisputable oneness of your true nature. And if I'm accurate, the oneness of that and the true nature was the relationship with your mother. Yeah. So uh, can we just start by by talking a little bit about your mom and, and your relationship with her? Yes, well, I was uh, the youngest of three daughters, and um, we moved a lot um, with my father's work, and we got to see a lot of the country. Um, when I was about two, my um, mother's parents were invited to move in with our family. Um, they had been farmers in Saskatchewan, and um, my grandfather was falling into a bit of ill health, and my father said, come and be our family with us. So um, how lucky is that to have grandparents in, in the home? And my grandmother was incredibly magical as well as my mom. So I was gifted with both of them and my grandfather. So um, I had, I also, when I was about two and a half, closer to three, I encountered a health issue that required me to be in hospital. And um, in those days, it was Calgary, in those days, there was no such thing as rooming in with the parent. There was no, uh, the parents were very um, well ushered away, basically. They weren't allowed to be around much. And so at that age, I had never been separated from my mother. And it, it was a traumatic experience for me. And it sort of, governed a lot of my younger years. And um, I think in, in a way, when I look at it analytically, I think as a child, for me to be separated from my mother and in this strange techno world of medical equipment and um, peering doctors, I perceived that experience as death and separation from my mother. So I became the child in the family that was very, very attached to my mother and didn't want her out of my sight as I was growing up. So I, I suppose one could say there was a certain dependency, but children are like that. So, mm -hmm. um, so we always nurtured and fostered this very close relationship and she was very protective of me as was my grandmother. And, um, and as we grew, um, we we shared everything. I I shared my emotions and my confusions as an adolescent. I shared my yearnings, um, my confusion about the you know the uh, the the artistic process. I was trying to to write at the age of twelve, and she was very encouraging. Um, my mother had always been a painter since she was very young and hadn't really given herself the time to pursue it intensely. So she would sneak it in here and there. <laughs> um, but I do have a number of her paintings as do my sisters. So we had a really close bond from, mm. well, right from the beginning, of course, as her child, but also especially because I had been separated from her at such a young age. And, um, so that yeah those were the beginnings and um 
I had marvelous parents who who coped with my um, my early sense of independence, and um, I I wouldn't say that I was um, a rebel of any sort, but I I made unusual choices. I left school very young and then went back to university and did graduate school. I I kind of went. I followed my own drummer basically Mm -hmm. and and my parents instead of um scolding or trying to um, contain me they supported me and they were always there and that that was pretty special in those days they were older parents as well they they married in their mid-30s which was unusual for um you know, that would have been the late 40s. And um, so my mother was 40 when I was born, which is unusual. So yeah, I I felt it was a real gift of a family. I felt very lucky and very supported in my creative world, both by my grandmother and my mother. And it sounds like there was a closeness then through through your creativity, through painting that your mother did. Was she also a writer? No, although she wrote many, many letters. And interestingly, um, I was digging out some of my grandmother's letters that I have tucked away when I was working on some poems. And I found one of my mother's letters dated back in 1977, when she had gone back to Saskatchewan to help my grandmother's sister, who was ill at the time. And so I, I have, I have many of her letters. So Mm. she wrote letters as did my father. Um, But my mother was a great communicator and um, she always brought us in to the conversation and opened the doors to conversation and working things through. So yeah, I I really cherish the letters um, or the little notes. Sometimes I'll Mm. find a note in a book she'll have given me a book as a gift and um it's just it's really magical to see that handwriting it's 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 like photographs as well I have there is something about that handwriting that 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 is of that generation and before um Mm -hmm. but I I can I can sense how how important that that voice is when we see it in print and all that resonates takes us both back and forward and more than a memory yeah it is it's it evokes uh the whole person as does voice I don't believe I have any recordings of her voice although I think my sister has some videos that they took at special christenings and events but um hearing someone's voice long after they've passed is quite a magical experience Mm. yeah I also in front of me here in my studio have a photograph that I of my mother when she was probably I think she was late teens and she's sitting under a tree painting and I keep that here in my studio along with a picture of my father and my grandmother so they're they're inspiration for me and that's that's kind of where language of light came from it it was part of the grieving of course and and um the connection the reconnection mm-hmm. this particular collection in inspired by the journey you went through of the grieving process and this was your mother died 
some time ago. Yeah. But it was also the fact that you both were going through a very similar and frightening, no doubt, very heavy um, experience with uh, with with cancer, with a diagnosis, mm-hmm. um, simultaneously. Yes, it, we were. Um, it was kind of haunting that it yeah. it occurred in that way, and it it made the grieving process afterwards complicated because, at the same time, my mother was in hospice. I was traveling back and forth to radiation in Victoria. I was living here on Salt Spring still. My mother insisted that I stay on Salt Spring. I not. I had considered taking leave from my work and going to Vancouver that last six, eight months. And she said, no, stay, stay home, come in. So I would go on weekends and I would actually sleep in the hospice. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lovely it's called Cottage Hospice in East Vancouver. And it's, it's a very warm and lovely place. And um, that's where I would spend my weekends. But then I, I, when I began radiation for, for my, uh, we both were diagnosed with breast cancer. And so I would go off and do radiation every day. That was the month of April, May that year, and she was in hospice. So it it was really hard to separate my own terror, my own fears, and what she was going through. And um, I think it, in some ways, it delayed my grief. And that's, I think, part of what, what took me on this journey, this, this, the, the places I traveled, and it, it wasn't that I was running away from my grief, but mm. I was searching for, for answers and, and for a sense of integration of my experience. Yeah. And, and as you, I think, had said in an earlier conversation with me, or perhaps something in our original communication, you know, you strongly feel a sense that the grieving process is something that accompanies us throughout life. And I, I, yeah. I fully agree. It's not something we get over. No. Um, grief took you on a physical journey as well. You traveled yeah. to Brazil, to Greece, to Hawaii, and to temples, mm. caves, and, and monasteries. What, what was it that was drawing you to these faraway places and ancient traditions? Well, some of it was dream. I think my original um, inspiration to visit the monasteries in Thessaly and Greece came from a dream I had had many years prior. And I had I had dreamt of Meteora before I even knew it existed. And so I think it was the, the temples and the monks of of Orthodox Greece that drew me. And my mother... I would, my mother uh, practiced, I would say, a mystical form of Christianity. She went to church and the music drew her. And so I think that was part of what drew me to, to, um, to Greece in particular. And then I, I went from there. I traveled uh, in various places within Greece. But my, um, the strongest call for me was to, to go to those temples, those they're at the the peak of these these enormous rock cliffs in central Greece, and mm-hmm. um, at the time I had suffered um, foot foot injuries, and later found out that 
some of that was related to the cancer therapy. And when I, when I went there, I had no idea, how was I going to climb 200 stone stairs to the top of these, these monoliths? And I did it. So that, that was, that was the motivation for Greece. Um, Brazil, I had heard about a healing clinic there and that drew me, but I think the most powerful experience I had there, which one of the poems describes was um, a ceremony of the Fulnio um, Indian tribe of that area of, of Brazil. And they did a healing circle. And I think it was the most powerful experience I had there. There were many experiences and wonderful people I met, but um, that, that was part of my own personal journey for healing breast cancer and, um, and healing um, the grief I, I was experiencing around my mother. And I guess I'm, I'm curious in hearing it and knowing that, that it was, forgive me, your mother passed when? Well, it, it's hard for me to even believe it's been this long, but it was July 31st of 2001. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So so over over twenty years, yeah. and 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 so I don't I don't want to assume um, that these journeys that were drawing you um, were. I mean, how, how conscious were you of? Now I'm <laughs> going to go and put something together that will make it all you know make sense. Uh, well, tell me a little bit. Let me dip the, into that a little bit more. Well, no, there was no there was no conscious. Um, awareness that this this was um you know it wasn't a healing map per se it was more of a following some kind of calling and intuition and um and and even though the book brings it synthesizes it and brings it together there there were segments of time between these three or four specific journeys um so yeah it was it 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 certainly wasn't it was intuitive is really what it was. And, um, and so I think when I when I went to Brazil, I had actually had a cancer recurrence at that point and underwent a, a, a huge surgery. And so when I went there, I was, you know, technically, I suppose, healed for, for then, but I, there was a deeper healing that, that, was required and it it was linked to the the um the grief around my mother i think for for some months after she passed and because of my own struggle with cancer i i i i went into a kind of void i didn't i i was disoriented in my grief i i was not um even able to express it and then I had a dream and often for me dreams are are real indications of what's going on and mm -hmm. where I where I need to pay attention so I think it was January of that following year I dreamt of going into the sea and it, it, it's a more elaborate dream than that but it was it was what called me to become an ocean swimmer and it also called me where I wasn't able to write the images, I began to photograph them. So all of those things came together that January. And then I, I started thinking about going to Greece and going to those monasteries. 
So, hmm. yeah, but it, it, it just unfolded. It, it was not a, a, an itinerary that I could put right. my finger on. It was, it, it was just a calling and it would yeah. come up as it would. Yeah. So, and, and I guess that, that brings me to the curiosity about poems. Yeah. And, and your, your sourcing and, and you just, you just ended that phrase with, it just allowed things to come up. So uh, mm. how, how do poems do... arrive for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, in various ways, but I think when we spoke earlier, I keep a journal. Mm-hmm. I, I was taught to keep a journal as a writer back when I was, well, I think I kept journals when I was 12, when I, I started writing poetry, but when I went to university Um, I began a very specific journal process and I have all of those journals to this day. There's one tiny period in my life where there's a a gap, but Mm. I think all of my poems seem to begin in the scribbles that come out in my journal. And the journal isn't a a daily record of my comings and goings. It's more thoughts. It's, it's notes from books I'm reading. It's trying out lines, trying to, what I always say, get out of my own way and see what language comes, what words, what phrases don't even think it just free fall is one of the terms that poets use for this method. And so I would do some of that. Um, and and then I would leave it alone and go back and I'd start to find the kind of the skeleton of a poem and then I'd begin to work with it then I'd I'd realize kind of where I was going with it and I'd be a little bit more intentional with the language sometimes I use the metaphor that writing poetry is like sculpture you you have this body of language you you might even just have the rough outline the skeleton and you begin to to work with the language take a word away put one back Mm. it's it's yeah that's that's part of the process for me other times though when I've experienced a, a kind of great outpouring I think that's that's a term that Rilke uses when he wrote his Duino elegies. I I would just be gifted with a poem. It would just it would come from intense emotion, but um, a calmness in the midst of that. And the poem, um, it it it's it's almost like automatic writing. And there's a few of those. Those are the real gifts. Um, very little editing's required. They they arrive kind of intact and 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 there's a great sense of of uh, release when that happens. It's it's like it 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 can heal the grief when when it moves through you that way. Yeah. That's been my experience. Yeah, I just I just was was pulling pulling back that you've got this this piece on your website right now and I, I don't know that it has a well I'm not sure that I was able to find the title but but what I'm hearing you say is so beautifully captured for me in the phrase in which the poet is speaking to poetry or to the the spirit mm-hmm. of and asks the question is this our new language uh, the knowing field yes yes yeah, yeah, that's that's um, that does come out of one of my 
my poems and it it is like a, a breaking through the rational breaking through the the dimension that we're living in and and having a glimpse or a connection with with the other and there's many different experiences of that people have either through creative writing painting um, journeying it it's it it can take many forms but it's it's like our true connection to to the world beyond what 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 we're made of who who we really are and i think poems can come from that place and um i think it requires some preparation to to be receptive to that it 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 can it can happen if you're receptive and um yeah and sometimes it can be communication with or through the person you've lost they can speak through you uh through writing or Mm -hmm. painting so um yeah and i think that to me that's 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 the um i don't want to use the word highest form of art but it's it's the the purest um connection with art for me and and the the i suppose a driving force to to reach but obviously communication is 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 the reason we do this as well to share to to feel a sense of community in our loss and our grief to not be alone Hey, podcast listeners, my name is Larise Campbell, and along with my co-host, former Olympic bobsledder, Alicia Olson, I am so excited to introduce you to the Mother Pucker podcast, and if you love the Oilers like we do, you are going to love our show. It's just two gals who aren't afraid to drop the gloves and throw some hot takes about the boys in blue and orange. Whether you're a massive hockey fan like us, or just looking for some new voices talking about the Oilers' blue line, or lack thereof, we promise the show is for you. So subscribe now and tell your friends. It's time for the Mother Pucker Podcast. I, I have to tell you, I, I experienced language of light in one sitting, and um, mm. I'm not sure I intended it, but I was unable to put it down. Um, the reflections that you were able to capture the lightest and the darkest of what I what I of what you were sharing as you say of what you were communicating of, of of what that process was of the grief and it just it it just flowed over in waves into my reading so please mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong but to my reading it it feels or it appears that you've structured it in two distinct halves I'm mm-hmm. sort of the before and the after um the first mm-hmm. holding space for your mother's leaving and the latter your journey towards arrival at, a, at right. a place of peace and closure. And the two halves are held by this beautiful sejura, or as I think you've titled it, intercession, in which mm-hmm. your voice asks, what hand skins the pelt and plucks the feathers of fright? Who steals the light of dawn, then sets fire in the West? If not love, then what? That, 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 in, that invitation to hold... Mm-hmm. something bigger mm-hmm. you know in that incredible and most important of all four letter words love 
Exactly. I think that little um, piece, the intercession came, it, it was one of those messages that came as I was working with this sequence. And it just, it came as a voice, and I recorded it, I, I might have reordered the words slightly, but it was one of those those stopping points in the series and you're right there's there's the before working through the the fear of losing her in that last poem questioning did did I actually go with her did I stay because I described that experience where a dark hand comes into the room and and that that was very real she experienced it and I did at the same time and she was very frightened by that and and then after me trying to find my way with with this grief and and so that intercession was like this loud voice what else but love can possibly get you through this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah 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 especially as you say it all it all began with this incredible sense of deeply rooted separation from childhood yeah and and now the separation in adulthood yeah Um, and and how how eerie it was too that we were both encountering many of the same things with with you know cancer treatments and consultations and and you know remarks by doctors and so on we were both uh, up against this at the same time we were kind of in the same field and yeah. yet we what what felt so difficult for me is we couldn't entirely be there for one another because we we still had to struggle through these these um you know periods of of uh, our own grief for our health for what impact this was going to have it's it's no matter who and who you have around you at a time like that it's a very lonely experience it Mm -hmm. I used to say it felt like I suddenly was behind some glass wall the moment I was diagnosed it was changed everything and I I know she felt the same and she was so sad at leaving she was not wanting to leave life some people are ready and very it, it's a beautiful passing and and they don't they don't feel any sadness or resistance they're tired they they want to go i've had friends at that point my mother she just loved life she loved mm. my my her grandchildren her her family and we all surrounded her in that hospice and we had concerts my sisters children play instruments and we put on music and we we were there but it's still it's it's a lonely passage and there's Mm -hmm. there's no way out of that um but it also it can bring out the most exquisite experiences of love like beyond what we perceive on a day-to-day basis it just it it pulls it into another dimension Mm -hmm. the sharing Mm -hmm. And again, perhaps there's where the heightened evocation of of language in poetry mm-hmm. is the language. The language. That, 
yes that, that, that is this is this new knowing field yeah you know yeah. i think poetry is a perfect um realm to express and and ex explore this and i think when we spoke before i said of all the literary arts i think poetry is the most naked and it's also highly distilled and when it's working well it's 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 very um, potent it's mm -hmm. it it synthesizes and brings together and I think when people are open to hearing it reading it uh, it's like learning another language but if if you're open to it then it it's very powerful mm -hmm. I I have those experiences as a reader of poetry so um yeah well and and like theater it deserves to be read out yes, loud absolutely for the for for the for the whole experience of being of being felt and and i'm I, yeah. would it be too forward of me to ask if you might share sure. uh, from your collection and and i leave it to you to to choose choose okay well i'll read um i could read a couple i i yeah. i had thought i might read just a couple so i i thought i'd start with um this is this is at the time that my mother was in hospice and the poem is called live with glory and wings mm. my mother let her hair grow in silver waves when palliative chairs and hospice rooms were home refusing company outside our family circle her sadness too private for words. Together we leavened old letters and songs, sunlight prismed soft violet through stained glass, bluebird hydrangea in lace caps, nudging the panes. We sat knee to knee, reflecting our younger selves. July breeze swaying the curtains as we spoke of Quan Yin, the white porcelain figure, a gift from a lifelong friend, continents away, knowing the deity would be called upon. Goddess of mercy with illumined pearls, my mother now ready for her grace. She dreamed of dancing just days before she died. Muscle memory leading her steps and twirls, unworldly and wearing quicksilver shoes. Patent leather with an organdy gown, orbiting a mandala of stars, music's crescendo, a gesture of hands, the body shell reaching imago, lies with glory and wings. Mm. Beautiful. And I thought I would read the, the title poem, Language mm. of Light. And so we're still we're still at the hospice at cottage hospice here and and it's situated in an incredible grove of trees and sycamores and i would often lay out in the fields um there um so that that's the reference point for this poem language of light next to the garden beds i wait while summer's profusion wanes. The sycamores stand in unity rows, guarding a path 
for the recently dead. Arboreal complexion of limbs and trunk, sentient camouflage in pale olive and tan. Trees older than firstborn stars, leaves shimmering in the language of light. Yeah, an echo for me of the awareness of this presence and some presence far beyond this. It's just what was coming through for me. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I think the 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 tree somehow held that for me. The and I I go back there when I visit Vancouver. Um I will go past the cottage hospice and I'll often pull over and stop and walk through those trees and just uh, be present there. And, and I, I feel, I feel the memory of, of the intense grief at the time. And I also feel the kind of um, openness and Mm. continuation of the spirit. Yeah. Well, and I think that, yeah, that, that for me, the, the, the rootedness, the grounding of the tree, mm-hmm. but with the invitation to see the infinite of yes. the stars. Yeah, the trees come back into the book toward the end in the final poem. Um, and I did a bit more delving into the Egyptian um, symbolism around the sycamore tree and mm-hmm. the field of reeds and um i've also always been drawn to egypt i've not been there my sister has but somehow um all of that came together in that final poem there are the final poem is is based on um or structured around uh speaking of every month um the mourning process every month after she'd gone and the kinds of images that would come up for me in those seasons, in those months. And that poem was, it wasn't exactly um, automatic writing, but it, it came, I was very much out of the way and allowed that, that process to, to take place. And I'd remember back and I have such a visual memory and I'd think of, of, moments during those months and also memories of of her mm-hmm. so um in the end the the egyptian sycamore comes back and and uh provides a sense of solace and comfort to me and expansiveness too yeah yeah and i and i think i had shared with you in that last poem you're talking about is is called amongst imperishable stars the months after you've gone and and the mm-hmm. 12 the 12 stanzas and and the, i i well i acknowledged i sat i sat and read it in one read i didn't get through this uh easily mm-hmm. uh be, no. and again easily because of the for me the beauty and the simplicity and and, and may i share yes. a couple of of those images for myself and i know that uh, you know and anyone for whom a deep family traditions in 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 any background that fall in that in that shortest month of December that that mm-hmm. that long dark month of December mm-hmm. uh, for me the image of your place sat at the table whispering a mm-hmm. silent grace lifts me from my hideaway teaches me to paint the years by memory not loss 
is such a beautiful gift to to anyone who is feeling the pain of Mm -hmm. the grief, the pain and the darkness of the loss, to be able to remember that the memory continues within us. And as long as we tell the stories and hold the images and pull the photos and the the Mm -hmm. handwriting, we are together still. Exactly. And yeah, through through language and that that connectedness. Memory, I think, holds more than than thoughts. Memory holds it's a, like a portal to the essence of an experience or or a loved one. And and um I think I can it's almost like it can take me to to the spirit of of her where she is and but but it requires um a meditation i think and and um and being in a very quiet uh, safe space and i'm i feel so lucky that i was able to to work through this sequence here where i live on salt spring in this uh, my husband calls it my poetry pod and it it feels a little bit like a time capsule because it's it's a small quiet space on the edge of a forest and i have all of my old journals right back to 1974 in the room and and i can i can go through that portal and and re-experience some of those things and 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 from that space write mm-hmm. yeah um, I don't think it's always necessary for people to hide away and and um, and and be in this kind of environment. I know many people who can sit in cafes and and be transported and and work. So it isn't everybody's um, requirement. Mm-hmm. But I I feel lucky to be able to sustain a, a sequence, a process, a book in this way. Um, meant that I could come here and be with her and I went back into the journals that I wrote while she was in hospice and I I looked at every page and I made some more notes and that brought me closer to being able to write these poems yeah but it well, was, and I, yeah I think sorry to interrupt there I, I just there was something I just want to reiterate that I heard you say and uh, whether we call it meditation but you you underscored it just that that willingness to give ourselves the place of silence mm-hmm. where things can come up where mm-hmm. things can be in our um, uh, space of awareness and you you talked about the memory as being more potent perhaps than than our thinking our thoughts but i also wonder if that isn't linking with your willingness to listen to the powerful images of your dreams yes and trust in the in the unconscious and the sub, and the subconscious and all of the currents of our thinking yes and it, it sometimes that takes time after a great loss and it it it's too difficult to get there right mm-hmm. away everybody has a different sense of timing but um to be still and to listen and 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 to stay with it, to not, to not let fears or the overwhelming emotion, which is going to be there, 
to not let that block you from from moving through it it's it's an art i think yeah hmm. what inspires you most goodness i think um well for one for sure the natural world there's hmm. there's endless inspiration looking out into the mm -hmm. forest and and going for walks and and being in the ocean it's 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 all a metaphor for life or our lives so that that that's that's one of the biggest inspirations for me i think but also this yearning that i've always felt that it's very hard to put into words or describe but it's it's kind of a yearning for uh the next world or the the next dimension or or something like the something like that and um and i think sometimes through dream i reach that and and so i i listen to my dreams and I, and many poems come are sparked from the dreams because i think that's that's like having a communication connection with with another dimension yeah and I'm, um, I'm i'm curious and i appreciate that this this may not be a fair question um uh, so please just bat it away but you've referenced your journal you've referenced the inspiration of the natural world i saw you looking out the window yeah. i i can imagine uh, you know also being a, a west coast islander not on the same island but Yes, I agree. Um, as you look out the window this morning, or as you walked to the studio, was there was there an image that has already begun to found, find its way into you? Something that you might come back and say hello to later? Well, um, possibly. And um, as I came in, a little bit before we began just to get get set up a bird came to the window to the window here on the left and and we're we're surrounded by incredible species of birds here and my husband loves the birds and has some feeders and he photographs them and and so i've i've been acutely aware of the birds and mm. and I recently picked up a a book um, by a poet. I I I don't have it in front of me, but it each poem is is about birds, a bird or an experience with a bird. And I'm and so I would say that that's and I I also have often uh, heard stories through through my own hospice training and and being with others who who have experienced recent grief that our loved ones will often return as birds within a short space of time they will experience a, a bird and so yeah that i would say that's that's on my mind right now in terms of my own work and um where to go next with it and i i do sense that language of light um, there, there may well be more poems um, 
I wouldn't be surprised and and I'm open to that and I'm mm. not sure where those will take me but in in the process of being ready to write these poems um I feel another level of closeness with my mother even after all these years I've I've um it's kind of like calling her in for for now and and connect reconnecting with her at this stage of my life hmm. yeah and well I I wish you every every good uh experience up ahead as 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 you remain and beautifully open mm. to whatever it is that's coming up yeah thank you thank you for for sitting with me uh in conversation today well thank you for inviting me into the conversation and sharing also that that the poems in language of light ha have communicated with you and touched you in some way and that that that's I think that's a big part of sharing poetry is to know that they they do communicate and we will make uh, it available in terms of where people can order a copy or mm -hmm. or learn a little bit more about about you I really appreciate it and your openness as well and and I think perhaps uh, your inquisitive nature around these these aspects of creativity for more information on Diana and her creative adventures, or to order a copy of Language of Light, please visit her website at dianahayes.ca. The Ellipses Thinking Podcast is a proud member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network and is produced by Greg and Jordan Dowler-Coltman. The show's theme music has been generously provided by Jordan Hart. And if you're interested in learning more about the ideas behind Ellipses Thinking, please visit dowlercoltman.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you for listening. As a resident of Vancouver Island, I wish to acknowledge that I am a visitor on the traditional lands of the Coast Salish people, including the territories of the Snonoas and Qualicum people. The first peoples have been here for over 10,000 years, their ancestors still here with us in the sky, the land, the ocean, and all of the beings that share this sacred place. As a settler, I gratefully embrace the opportunities for growth as integral to my personal journey of collaboration and reconciliation as I learn and further support the possibilities that lay ahead. I remain committed to practicing my craft in a decolonized space. <laughs>